Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. One thing I've noticed throughout my career managing people and working through varying situations is that there are two main ways people respond and react to change. There is a massive group of people who get angry at change. They blame it. They get frustrated. They refuse to adapt because they like the way things have been. There's another group who owns the change. They adapt, innovate, adjust their strategies and approaches and fit in with the change rather than expecting the world to come to them. They recognize change is inevitable. In 2020, change isn't just inevitable. It's an in-your-face, punch-you-in-the-gut, steal-your-lunch-and-laugh-at-you-while-it-walks-you-into-the-future. It's trite to say this year has been a roller coaster. It's been a roller coaster during a tornado, hit by a tsunami, and shot into space. But people, businesses, organizations, groups, nonprofits have adapted. Not all, but many. They've taken personal responsibility for their growth. They have not only recognized changes here, they have accepted it, adjusted to it, looked for opportunities, and rebranded themselves or their organization. Change is good. It may not feel that way in the moment, but looking back through history, it is sometimes the worst events that spark the biggest sea change towards our future. I'll give you one example. In 1965, at the height of the modern civil rights movement, activists in Alabama organized a march for voting rights from Selma, Alabama to Montgomery, the state capital. You've likely heard this story before, but listen, please. It was a march, not an armed protest, not a riot, a march for voting rights. Around 600 people assembled at a downtown church. They knelt briefly in prayer and began walking silently two by two through the city streets. They crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge and were forcefully pushed back by police. They were beaten, trampled, attacked for marching. Again, you've likely heard of this event, but at some point you should watch it. There is video. I did, again, recently with my kids, and they were horrified. But, and here's the key, think about this. What if police hadn't attacked? What if there wasn't video? What if there wasn't outrage? What if the 600 people just peacefully marched to Montgomery? Would we be talking about it today? Would we be considering the civil rights movement and its importance to our history as we do today? Would John Lewis, be as impactful a character in United States history as he has been, rest his soul. I don't know. Maybe not. Just to be clear, I'm not justifying what happened that day. I'm not declaring it a good thing. I am just pointing out that we don't often see the end result in the moment. As it was happening, there's no chance John Lewis was thinking, oh, this is good. This is what we wanted. This is, obviously, that's not the case. But the future was unknown. We didn't know the change it would make. We didn't know the highlight that this would bring to an event like that. We don't allow ourselves to comprehend anything but where we are right now in the moment. Bringing it back to today, it's hard to see how 2020 will be a positive because we're in it. All we feel is the anguish. But what if you learn a new skill that is more applicable to the new workforce? What if you've met people 
you otherwise wouldn't have reached out to? What if you learned social media advertising or Photoshop or Salesforce or data analytics or esports and that set you up for your future? Because 2020 forced you to be a little bit different. In that moment, it was painful. In the future, it came together for you. I don't know the right answer for you. All I know for sure is our world is changing and you need to change with it. No one knows this better than today's guest, Joan Lynch, Chief Content and Programming Officer for Working Nation. Longtime fans of the show probably remember Joan on the show last year in one of our most popular episodes ever because she brings serious knowledge. Buckle up. Trust me, Joan is dropping some serious information on our changing workforce right now. Hi, Joan. How are you doing? Great, Brian. How are you? I'm excited to talk. I'm doing really well. I'm excited to talk to you again. You're like the returning champion. You're like the the second time on the show, one of our most popular guests of all time, which is really cool because you have such insight into the industry. Uh, So thanks for coming back on and and diving into things. Oh, it's a pleasure. I I really enjoy your podcast and appreciate the thoughtfulness that you take to this this topic. So it's great. Thank you. So before we get deep in the weeds and we start talking about hiring trends and all the important things in the prospects for the job market, Give everybody a little bit of an understanding of the purpose and vision of Working Nation. Working Nation is a a journalism and film group. We're a not-for-profit storytelling group that talks about the future of work, that talks about the trends, um, and really pushes towards solutions in terms of the job market and employment and education, and hopefully gives people the tools that they need to go on to fulfilling and life-sustaining careers. Sounds like a great goal. Let's let's go for that. Let's, let's lead into that, right? Right. Uh, so let's let's start off. There's some big topics I think we want to cover here. Uh, let's start off with a really big one: women in sports. Um, anecdotally, it feels to me like there are a lot more women in our industry, and that there's progress being made, and in leadership positions, and all that's increasing. And I speak in a lot of college classrooms, and I see more and more women in sports management programs, and this feels like positive momentum. But then I also just saw an article that you shared a few weeks back through your Twitter feed that said hundreds of thousands of women are dropping out of the workforce in general, not necessarily sports specific, but are dropping out of the workforce. Why is that? And and how does this problem get fixed? Yeah, it is a big issue. And it's something that we've been talking about a lot lately, especially during COVID. Um, The Department of Labor Statistics just released a staggering number, I think in the last month that said, Uh, I think between August and September, 865,000 women had dropped out of the workforce uh, as opposed to 216,000 men. Um, And this is at a time where historically since the 60s, women have made so many advancements in terms of employment. Um, And Anthony Carnival from Georgetown does some amazing work around this. But, um, you know, during COVID, there's a lot of things to take into account. Women that are working from home, perhaps, have children that are going back to school. Um, There's a lot that is focused on the workforce in general, but with women, you know, it's not just my opinion, it's incredibly challenging right now. Prior to Working Nation, you spent six years as a vice president, executive producer, and coordinating producer at ESPN. You left there in 2011. When you go back to that time and you think about the leadership team there, because I think ESPN is a one of the largest employers in sports and a pretty good indicator of the sports industry. When you looked around at the leadership team, did you feel 
as a woman that you were represented and or did you feel a little bit more isolated? You know, I think over time um, during the years that I was at ESPN, I saw a lot of advancements in terms of women um, moving up the ladder into more leadership positions. Um, There wasn't enough, but I don't know that I would ever say there is enough um, until it becomes equal. But, uh, you know, I don't think that I felt isolated but uh, there was certainly and is certainly a situation with women in sports when you are at a leadership position where there's not a whole lot of you. And so it's really key to have great management. Um, I happen to have a, a couple of really good leaders at ESPN that really supported me. And there's also the thought that people don't really want to talk about when you're um, getting promoted as a woman that oftentimes people look at it and think, oh, she got promoted because they want more women in leadership. Um, And I think as in general, as a woman, and in terms of this theme, we all as human beings want to be acknowledged for the skills that we have, and that we're qualified for the jobs that we're getting. So I think if if companies are approaching it that way, um, and very clearly telling the story of these women, and their successes and why they're being put in these positions, I think it helps support the women as they go forward. I was having a conversation earlier this week about diversity and inclusion, and it was the first time someone, I think, person for me, at least explained the concept of inclusion this well. And they basically said it's not just about getting a seat at the table. It's being listened to when you're at the table, like mm. being included in the conversation and not just there. Like you were just saying, like the the uh, the thought process is by some that you're there for other reasons, but really you have to be there and be able to be heard and be a part of what goes on at the organization, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that there's, I found in my situation that I had to be incredibly careful about how I uh, would give my opinion or would talk about things. And I was running the development team, which is, uh, adds a little bit of stress to it because my job was to say, here's the things that we should be doing that maybe we're not doing, or here's where we could doing, be doing things better. Uh, and whenever you're approaching anything from a development perspective, you know, either introducing new concepts or saying, here's how we can make something better, there's a level of criticism mm-hmm. that's just at the base of that conversation um, that is meant for a positive. It's meant to build up what the organization is doing. But as a woman, I, I definitely felt nervous at times about saying it. There were times in my career overall where there would be men around the table and something would come up and a, a man would look at me and say something like, well, don't get upset. And I would laugh thinking, well, why are you looking at me? You know, but uh, there's this there. There's still a cultural expectation that just women are more emotional um, and not as thoughtful, perhaps, about some of the or strategic, I should say, not a strategic about some of the decisions that are being made. So I think there's a a natural level of stress that comes from being a woman in a powerful position. You said you feel as though things may have improved since that time. What do we need to do to keep improving the conditions for women, the leadership opportunities, all of those things, not just in the sports industry, but maybe just even in more general sense, are there things like organizations and employers can do better? in your view? Well, I think that there's something interesting that I've been reading about for the last few years about uh, women and they're uh, perhaps less likely to sell themselves as um, a candidate for a job. They're more likely to undersell some of their successes. 
um, and not exaggerate perhaps some of their successes, which can, can be a problem, I think. Um, so I think for, in terms of businesses, um, as I've said before, supporting the women that they're bringing in, it's really important for leadership to give women the opportunity to have a voice, um, give women the opportunity to not feel, as you said, uh, you know, isolated or, or as an outsider. I think in a lot of ways, when we went through the Me Too issue in this country, which was just gut-wrenching for so many people, and I'll say people because yeah. um, I, I was talking to a company years ago that was actually interviewing me for a job, and they asked me a question about what do you feel about diversity? And I don't, this is a podcast, so you can't see it, but I don't hide much on my face in terms of my reaction. <laughs> but I thought that's a dumb question. That is a yeah. dumb question. Cause the answer clearly is we need more diversity um, in terms of women, men, straight LGBTQ, you know, uh, minorities, we need all of that. Um, and really, you know, just a, a broader diversity of thought but when we went through the Me Too um, situation and I was talking to this employer, one of the things that I said, because it was a sports company, was my heart was breaking and I felt a great deal of compassion for the wonderful white men that I worked with throughout my mm -hmm. career who were in those positions for years and years and years. And as Me Too came in and all of these things came out, which they should have, and things have definitely changed and improved since it did, there was a lot of nervousness in the industry from a lot of men that had been in these positions that felt like, am I going to get displaced because, um, because of a quota? Or um, I, I might have told you this story before, but I had a boss of mine from ABC News who called me right after the story came out and said, did I ever make you feel uncomfortable, which he never had. Yeah. And, and also more importantly and more impressively, he said, did I allow you or any other women in the department to be made to feel uncomfortable? And if I did, I apologize. So, you know, I, I think we're making great strides in terms of women in the industry, in terms of minorities in the industry. We need to make more. But I think if we approach it as employers, as companies, and as human beings, if we do that through compassion, I think we're going to make more progress. Wow. You know, you're spot on. I appreciate that so much. Uh, broad perspective here. We'll branch out a little bit, not just sports. Uh, how are good companies handling this time of coronavirus versus those that are struggling? It feels like there's a, a very obvious divide of those that are handling things well and those that are handling things poorly. What do you think are the main things that the good companies are doing to improve during this time? You know, it's it's super interesting in the world of, of sports, especially because when you think about sports, you have to include things like arenas where perhaps the owners and, and the organizations aren't necessarily connected to that business, but they, you know, participate and they they use those locations. So there's a lot more employees than we think about when we in the world of sports when we think about sports. Uh, there's a lot more people that are touched by it. And we've heard some fabulous stories over the last, you know, six, seven months of COVID of organizations that have stepped up uh, have uh, and players um, that have stepped up to pay the arena employees yeah. um, and and to, to pay for, I know Mark Cuban was paying for healthcare and, and childcare for some, some folks um, that really needed it. But, you know, 
not only are they are they looking out for their organizations, but I think the really good ones as well. I think about um, Josh Harris and David Blitzer of the 76ers, and I was really moved back in March when they donated 10,000 computers to the children in their communities who needed to be homeschooled. And the smart businesses in terms of sports are not just looking at their bottom line, they're looking at their fan base. They're looking at their communities, in this case, the city of Philadelphia, which happens to be my home city, um, and saying at the end of all of this, when we eventually go back, whenever that is, to normal, we want people to be gainfully employed. We want them to come to our games. We want them to buy our jerseys. We want them to support our teams. Um, and it's been a real challenge in the business community in terms of sports, but there are some that, that rise above. There's definitely some that have had to have layoffs, and that is you know, mm-hmm. part of this process overall internationally. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it's not just complicated in the world of sports. As you said, it is an employment issue that is big in this country, and all businesses are trying their best, I think, to take the employees into account instead of just the bottom line. Yeah, I could not agree more. And I think you, I mean, it's very clear to me, like you said, you pointed out Mark Cuban, you pointed out the Sixers organization, which are great organizations, and they're putting their money towards action, right? They're doing things. And and that goes always back to their own corporate culture too. They're, the employees notice that, the fans notice that. that that's important stuff. Um, what kind of a grade would you give the sports industry kind of as a whole for the way they've managed this unique time? I think, I mean, again, there've been a lot of different approaches across sports, across leagues, across teams. Everybody's kind of doing it a little bit differently. Um, staffing, hiring, playing, safety precautions, culturally, uh, every league seems to be taking a different approach, but then even almost every team inside of it, kind of looking at it as a whole, kind of stepping back and saying what the last nine months have been like, what kind of a grade would you give the the sports industry? You know, I try really hard not to make um, blanket statements or make assumptions as a whole, but I will even say- Even though I'm forcing you to. <laughs> even though you're, you're putting me in a corner here, but um, yeah. you know, what's different right now as opposed to uh you know recessions in the past is that number one organizations have had to look at the health situation of their employee of their employees team team members coaches staff um as i said people that are you know traveling with them and and mm-hmm. um all of that so what's different is that we have health as the number one concern um I would, le- I would like to say that the things that I've seen with the NBA going into the bubble and, and other uh, organizations, I feel like the leagues have, have acknowledged that right now we need to be entertained. Right now we need our sports. Mm-hmm. We need them. You know, with college football and, and all of this, we, it, it's our outlet to step away from some of the scariness that's going on and the fear that's in this country. Um, so I, from what I've read and the people that I've talked to, I think they've, the sports industry has done a really nice job of approaching it as safely as they can. I mean, I'm a huge golf fan, so I have to mm-hmm. say I really I really follow the PGA deeply uh, going through this process. I think they made some really smart decisions overall, and they came back early, but they came back in a way that made it safe for the players. Um, yeah. Perhaps 
and also it was great for for television right for the networks for them to have the events back on tv and for fans to be able to watch again but but it was very clear that they were taking precautions that they were doing the testing um so i'm impressed by it i and i'm also you know really hopeful that this isn't going to take too long because i know we'd all like to get back to to uh going to the games and watching the games and really not having this in the back of our minds it's funny, even now, it seems like it was a year ago, but you flash back to even April, June, when none of us had any sports for a couple months and you were just dying for anything. It was like yeah. they put on the Korean Baseball League was like the lead on ESPN.com and you're like, I'll watch, sure, whatever. Yeah. And then they started coming back slowly. The thing that surprises me, I'll be more judgmental than you. Um, the thing that really surprised me is that the NFL had so much lead way before their season started and could really make every preparation. And yet they didn't alter the schedule. They didn't put in any break weeks so that they could then adjust schedules. And right, I think they were assuming that, I think it'll be gone by then and we'll be right, fine. Right. Rather than really creating a plan or strategy. And it feels like they're getting, it's catching up with them right now. Right. Where they're having to cancel games. They're moving games everywhere. Yep. They have Tuesday night football now. It feels like they, and I, I've read too many people complimenting them on the good job they've done where I think, they didn't really plan that well for this, but that's my own little well, soap, uh, soapbox there. Well, as a journalist or recovering journalist, although I still am a yeah. journalist at Working Nation, um, that I, I would say overall the the coverage of COVID from start to now has been spotty. Uh, and that is because it is a pandemic and it is a virus that we do not know that much about. And we're learning yeah. and there's very smart people trying to figure it out. But I think every one of us could sit back and say, you know, when things shut down in March, I personally thought, okay, well, once it gets we'll back to by June, June, yeah, right. It was always about yeah. June and there was never the idea that there wouldn't be college football or any of these things. Right. So, you know, I like the fact that some of these leagues took this, uh, this um, optimistic approach. Yeah. We just, I just don't think from a human perspective, anyone could have expected that we would be in this position. Um, mm. So, you know, and it's going to continue. So we're going to see how things how things go. And as you said, which leagues continue to make the necessary changes to keep things moving, but also keep people healthy. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of respect for everything they've tried to do. I mean, the leagues, I think, have adjusted a lot on the fly while they're losing revenue from different, you know, their businesses are are different right now. Their main sources of revenue are a lot of what happens in those arenas, selling the tickets, having the premium suites, having the marketing activation, sponsorships, et cetera. They're adjusting on the fly and feeling the pinch of revenue, even when they're doing the right thing and still having the games on. So it's difficult. Right. I mean, I was reading recently that the on average, it's about a 70 percent loss of revenue for teams. Um, And, you know, there's a macroeconomic conversation you could have also about, you know, the rich get richer um, and team owners and folks like that, that, you know, I I think our owners um, in a lot of cases are still in a pretty good position, although the teams are losing money. Clearly there's been layoffs in different, in different areas. Um, But hopefully this is going to give us the time to come back stronger. Yeah. So we just completed a four-part mini-series titled Moving Forward, where I interviewed 10 young, diverse, aspiring sports professionals about their experiences trying to break into the industry while also having a voice for social justice. It was pretty amazing uh, a series. Yeah, it's gone really well. It's been really inspiring. And I've learned a lot, too, just from listening. Um, one of the topics that came up a lot was the financial impact of education 
and internships that in their view, they aren't equitable experiences, which makes a lot of sense to me. How do we shake up talent development as a whole, like the whole process? What What are we doing here? You know, your point about internships is incredibly important. And we talk about this a lot at Working Nation. And it is definitely one of the most um, tragic things in terms of the workforce that has happened in 2020 is what's going on with internships, which we're already in a difficult position, which I'll touch on. Um, But we all know, I'm sure you had your internships. I interned at ABC News, which resulted in in a job. We know how important that internship Mm -hmm. is to have face-to-face interaction with leaders to learn um, and for them to learn and get to know you and, and, you know, ideally bring you into their, their organization. But those internships went away in the, in the sports world. Absolutely. Um, In the business world, you know, students coming out of MBA programs that schools would normally have 95% placement into internships and finance and other areas, they were just gone. Um, and then, um, and then you talk about how black students are disproportionately, um, represented in internships. I mean, we're talking six to 7% of interns, um, in this country being African-American, uh, Hispanics being, um, overrepresented in, in never having had an internship. Um, and then there's, there's interesting things like, um, uh, white men and women who are overrepresented in paid internships versus unpaid internships um, and what that means. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen with the internship. I have encouraged many, many people and students that I've spoken to to find creative ways. Um, now that teams are doing more digitally because they have to, there's things that you can be doing from home. Uh, that can show some of your talent where you could, you could participate and you could offer to do an internship, doing some of, some of perhaps digital storytelling or something else, but it's a challenge. It's a, it's a big challenge. And, um, you know, overall, how do we shake up talent development? That's, that's a question we talk about every day at Working Nation. Yeah, I bet. Uh, And it's uh, across the board. How do we shake up talent development when, as we say, the slope of the curve in terms of the change in jobs and skills in this country has never, ever gone faster in history. So it's a question of the jobs are changing. What, what's going to happen at the end of COVID when jobs come back is they will be different and the skills will be different. So I think it's on all of us to really have an understanding of what those skills are and how we, we can take this time to perhaps bone up a bit on some areas that we might not, you know, might not feel like we're as strong. I also say that with a lot of compassion for, for people that are working from home that might have children that say, I don't mm-hmm. have time to take a class on LinkedIn learning or to take this, you know, mm-hmm. analytics class or whatever. But um, it's, it's a super confusing time for our population and for our current workforce and our future workforce. Yeah, I don't want to go all negative here, but when you look to the future, it's kind of hard right now not to be. And I'm trying, like I'm saying this with a smile on my face, so I am trying to have positive outlooks. But when you look to the future and we come out of this eventually, because we will, uh, do you think the workplaces will be more equitable or will the divide be wider? Because you brought up a good point there when you were talking about virtual internships, like that almost maybe makes it, maybe that helps. Maybe that makes the, the gap a little less wide. Uh, but what do you think? And how do you think this actually plays out in actuality when we get back to a little bit of normalcy? 
Well, you know, when Working Nation um, came about five and a half years ago, when Art Bilger, our founder, approached me about doing this, and I think I've said this before, but I thought he was absolutely nuts to do <laughs> con- content around what he called structural unemployment. But what I okay. what I didn't know, and I now know, and our team has sort of become the specialists on this, teaching and, and speaking around the country on it, is um, the gap, the true skills gap in this country. So like I said, the jobs will come back, but the jobs will be different. And if folks yeah. don't take that to heart, then we're going to have a real issue. Um, and there's a lot of data that shows, um, I was reading an article about cybersecurity right now, with even with jobs at home, the employers are saying, we cannot find the people with the skills to do the jobs that are available now. And I think last time I talked to you, there were 7 million open jobs that weren't, that weren't filled. Um, so yeah, I'm hopeful, but I think in order to be hopeful, I have to go back to what we talk about working at Working Nation, which is every employer, um, every student, um, every person has to take personal responsibility for what skills they have. And, and that is, there's, you know, skills mapping programs and there's programs you can go online and, and sort of see what am I good at and what am I not good at? And if people aren't willing to take the time to do that, then they are going to struggle because mm-hmm. manufacturing jobs are coming back, but they're advanced manufacturing jobs. Jobs are, as you've seen, we've seen in um, things like, you know, what year was it? It was 10 years ago when the AP started using uh, artificial intelligence to do box scores Um, and those types of things. Um, You know, the the question is, where do I fit into this new workforce and how can I fit into this new workforce? And also, how can I um, know enough about what I'm good at to represent myself in a way to employers so they know that, number one, I have these skills or number two, I'm willing to learn these skills. Mm-hmm. Just give me an opportunity and where are the resources for me to get them because I will do it. We've seen, I mean, you and I have been in the industry long enough to kind of see the history of change. And, you know, when I first started the industry, analytics wasn't a thing. <laughs> social media social media wasn't a thing. We didn't really have jobs in diversity and inclusion. There was no e- te- esports. Right, like right. these were things that didn't exist. And now they're, they're drivers of the industry. Like we're seeing on our job board, we'll see the data and we'll see jobs in tech. We'll see jobs in esports, content creation, social media, revenue optimization. These are roles that are, that are growing. You were talking a lot there about the skills that people need to acquire and how the industry is going to change. All industries are going to change. The demand is going to be different. The needs are going to be different. What's the best way for somebody out there to say, okay, you know, I wanted to work, and I'm just giving a very specific example, but take it whichever direction you want. But like, Mm -hmm. I I was planning to work in sales and now there's no ticket sales to do. And I have a business background and how do I pivot now? Like, what's the best way for somebody to identify and say, this is where the growth areas were, will be in the near future. Do you have any mm. thoughts on that? Yeah, and pivot is exactly the right, the right word for you to use. Um, uh, I will say um, one of my suggestions is there's a fabulous new book out. It was just released a week ago, I think, but I got a chance to read it maybe a month ago um, from a man named Jamie Marisotis, who runs the Lumina Foundation, which is out of Indianapolis. They focus on education and they focus on skills and certifications and what, not just a four-year degree, but what do people have to do to get into jobs, life-sustaining jobs, as I said. Um, He wrote a book called The Human Work in the Age of Smart Machines. Okay. Um, I'm writing it down. I I highly (laughs) recommend it. 
um, not only because I respect Jamie and his incredible intellect in this space, but because it, you know, it touches on things like the, the, the um, AI and other things in jobs. But the question really becomes, are humans obsolete? And his answer is no. And I find that to be yeah. very, yeah. I know, That's right? reassuring. <laughs> um, uh, right? <laughs> I find that to be very hopeful, but I also, in my work at Working Nation, find that to be true. There are things that humans bring to, to the workforce um, in terms of empathy and other things that um, robots can't do. And in our field, um, AI and, and data and analytics aside, which uh, clearly there's been advancement there, storytelling is at the core of what we do. I always say sports is the ultimate reality show. Mm -hmm. You never know what's going to happen. And there are always different characters, but um, we tell stories in the world of sports. It's why 30 for 30 was so successful for us. Um, We tell stories in a way where we get to the heart and the soul and the motivation of a person or a team or a family member. And that can't be done by a robot. And the, the, types of problem solving that robots or AI can do is exceptional. And there's no question that it has advanced to us and humankind, but a back and forth, as I find with my team at Working Nation, maybe not in the same room anymore, but on a Zoom, the back and forth of developing a concept and throwing out a bad idea that slowly becomes a decent idea that becomes a really good idea. Yeah. That happens because of human beings and their personal experiences, and that will not go away. And that that is something that um, we need to focus on. I think storytelling in general is one of the areas that gives me the most hope in terms of humans uh, yeah. and the future of work. I mean, we find that should be very true. People ask me all the time, they're like, okay, go through your data and tell us where the jobs are, where are people being hired? And one of the categories we've seen on our site a lot that's grown is media creative because there is this insatiable appetite for people to digest content, especially right now where, you know, even if there weren't games, there was still appetite for, you know, old historical videos and new perspectives and analysis and this and that and the last dance and documentaries. And like, there was such a great appetite and I don't think that will ever go away or be able to be replaced to your point. Um, One area that I want to hit on, we talked about a lot of different segments, right? We talked about women in sports. We talked about diversity and inclusion, which I think are all extremely important topics, but we have this private Facebook group for the podcast. And every once in a while, when I'm in there, I'm reminded of just how many people we have that are military veterans, right? That are, that are, I'm always reminded when I go into that group that a lot, that's a natural transition for people that have been in this service that then come back and feel that same almost I don't want to say competitiveness, but there's something, there's some alignment there between their military service and then getting into the sports industry. Uh, I think sports has done a pretty good job of welcoming and embracing and highlighting some of our veterans. But do you think that's somewhere that sports could take an even more active role in facilitating veteran employment? Uh, Yes, 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 and yes. Um, and, and you're touching on something that happens to be my personal passion is our, our men and women of the military. Um, as the daughter of a Vietnam helicopter pilot. Um, I'm raising I, my hand here. My dad was a Marine in Vietnam too. So uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're, we're tight yeah. on this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I now know what my father was talking to me about my 
my entire life about skills and about the military. And I didn't really completely understand it until I came to work and build Working Nation with art. Um, our veterans are a group of men and women who are coming out with um, so many different types of skills that can be translated. There's been a there's been a lot of work done and by uh, organization called SHRM and business, businesses to try to translate what those skills mean. Because what you see on a piece of paper on a veteran's resume does not translate to anything you've ever seen on a job uh, on LinkedIn. Right. It just doesn't. Right. Um, and yet that does not mean that this person is not qualified. Also, I was on a panel last week uh, for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce uh, hero, hiring our heroes. And I said, you know, the other thing that right now during COVID we should focus on with our veterans in terms of speaking about this is our veterans have had a job. They have worked. They have been paid. They have had a boss. They have worked next to, sometimes in very dangerous situations, they've worked yeah. next to people of all kinds and had to work together to complete a mission, whatever that mission might be. For an employer to really understand that, that that takes them to a different level. And we at Working Nation, thanks to um, a grant from the Clint Eastwood Family Foundation and support from Walmart and JP Morgan Chase and Comcast and many others, are, we focus the entire month of November on veterans and work. Uh, and we release, we're gonna release a digital magazine called Inquire Within about it. But we tell stories about veterans and how they transition into work. And one of the things that I also like to say is, you know, bringing it back to the sports world, although I will talk about veterans all day with you, um, is it, if you look at it, veterans are sort of in the same boat as student athletes. Uh, so when I said they had a job, they did a skill, they had to compete together, um, they took direction, they had to practice. Um, that's the situation of a lot of student athletes that are coming out. And we know the numbers are super low in terms of how many athletes go into the pros. That's just, right. you know, an obvious number. So when we talk about it, I think the biggest challenge overall is how do we each communicate what we're good at? And in doing that, um, there are, at a leadership position, I think they need to be able to differentiate and listen. There are people like myself, I can do this podcast with you, but I'm inherently an introvert. So if I'm going in and having a conversation about what I've done, I'm a little more nervous perhaps to talk about what I've done or to sell myself. Uh, for our veterans, they've been taught to always talk about we, just like yeah. on teams, right? Uh, just like student yeah. athletes, they've talked about the we. And for some of them, I've heard it takes two to three years before they're comfortable talking about I. Um, wow. And that to me is astounding. So, you know, as we talk about it, it it's um, – it's a time right now where communication is the most important thing to bring our workforce back in sports and in everything else. But it's also a personal responsibility issue of, of being able to communicate that. And on the hiring side, being able to um, really understand what that skill is and what yeah. someone brings to your team. We've been talking a lot lately and around our offices and even a lot, a lot of conversations I've had in this podcast about how there are a lot of organizations that are pushing money out to the problem, right? They're saying that Harris Blitzer said $25 million to social justice costs. Boston Celtics did. Foot Locker pushed $200 million. Like, And then you say, 
well, what do we want to do with that money, right? So what are we going to do with that? And I think it always comes back to hiring practices, right? I mean, it just seems like that's where the, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's like, that's where the investment needs to be made in. And that's where eyes need to be opened. And that's where people need to start different thinking differently and hiring veterans and people of color and LGBTQ and, and Hispanic, like every different community and representing women then and representing them within their organization, because that's going to be the lifeblood of what continues growing our industries. And so I hope that some of this money gets diverted in those directions. <laughs> that's my own uh, bug there. I don't even know if that's a question. I'm just kind of statementing things. It, you know, <laughs> it, it is a question. It brings up something really important. And, and I've talked to folks about this when we've talked about veterans. Um, it's an easy way to ask a question that we need to ask overall in the workforce, which is whose job is it to train our workforce? And if you look at the military and you ask, is it their job to train these men and women for their next job? Their job is to train these men and women to protect our country. And, yeah. to ha- and, and they have gotten a lot more thoughtful about um, putting programs into place and recognizing that they want these men and women to transition out into good jobs, not only because it's good for our country, but also it's good for them in terms of recruitment, right? Who wants to go yeah, to the military? Is. If you think on the other end of it, you're not going to have that a, end. Yeah. You're not going to have a job. And there's great, um, there's great programs and great conversations. We at Working Nation like to say there's, it has to be a solution of businesses, educators, not-for-profits that get together and say, what's, what's the equation that makes it possible to have the most robust workforce? And the U.S. Chamber of Commerce just released something called um, Talent Finance, which is a fantastic um, white paper, which says a lot for me because I'm not a white paper, white paper girl. Yeah. Um, but it talks about um, organizations taking responsibility and putting those dollars that you're talking about, putting those dollars towards talent development. What yeah. does that mean? How do we take responsibility? And I, I'm, I have to say, having gone through this process and, and watching this report come out, I'm really inspired watching the businesses that have come forward and saying, we recognize now that it's not the colleges that are training our workforce. That has not worked. Mm. We know that that has not worked. What do we have to do and where do the dollars have to go in order for us to train our men and women to be going to these jobs? And I think it's exciting. I also think it's very exciting because it builds communities. We're not just talking about New York and San Francisco and Washington, D.C., we're talking about rural areas with businesses yeah. that are saying, how do I find these people? Uh, well, you can train them. People are trainable and they want to work. And so I'm, I'm excited to see the dollars going towards that. And I hope that it gives more of our, as I said, workforce and future workforce, the hope that um, things are going to turn for the better. We make a good balance in this conversation because I get all fired up and just start throwing stuff out there. And then you actually bring data and information and white pages and research. So like <laughs> you actually can back you can actually can back it up with stuff rather than me just talking a lot. It's like ping okay. pong. We, we yeah, this is great. Yeah, it's great. I, I love it. it when you drop the I love it when you drop the data in. It's great. It makes actual <laughs> make sense. Okay, good. Okay, so we'll finish up with this and we're laughing now, and I want to continue that. It may not be an uplifting final question, but I want it to be honest. Mm. As we sit right now, unemployment is high. The pandemic still rages. Sports are different. Workplaces are different. We're all on Zoom all the time now. It's just a different, it's different, right? And I don't want to say new normal or anything like that because that's cliche. It's like, it's just different right now, okay? Yeah. Do you have a positive outlook? As you said, right now, do you have a positive outlook towards employment in the future or 
just speaking honestly, should we be bracing for years of financial contraction and unemployment? And is this going to take a long time for us to dig out from? You downer question. I know it's such a downer question. <laughs> uh, it's not a downer question. And thankfully, I spend most of my time at Working Nation trying to tell the stories to, to uplift people. Um, I think we're crazy if we don't employ a level of what we call rational panic. Um, and if rational panic uh, can be helpful, uh, you know, that fear or flight situation that we always talk about, um, rational panic can be helpful when you really recognize what is happening, what is happening in the workforce, um, the technological changes that are happening, the uh, problems that we have with our education system pre-COVID and now certainly with COVID, um, the longevity, people working, staying in the workforce longer and people just living longer and needing care longer um, and just technology overall. I, I'm hopeful, but I, my hopefulness rests in leaders at a business level, le the thought leaders of this country, um, really stepping into this topic. I will say I'm disappointed in the lack of conversation that often happens when we, when we hear about jobs in this country. It's, it's very base. It's a base level conversation just about unemployment numbers. And then it's yeah. gone. Or it becomes a political conversation about this is what the Republicans believe or this is what the Democrats believe. We at Working Nation believe that the day after the election, if it's over after the day after the election, who knows when it will be over. The day no. after the election, does, <laughs> the day after the election, the slope of the curve will not have changed or altered yeah. the, the rate at which things are changing. The, yeah. the information that we need to know about will not have changed and it will just become that much more important. So the stakes are high. And I, I really, we believe we're leaning on the leaders of, of business, especially, and a lot of not-for-profits and thought leaders to come up with solutions um, and help people in every area of this country recognize what the opportunities are near them and not for what we call lifeboat jobs, you know, jobs just to get you by but for jobs that can lead to something more sustaining so you can take care of your family um, and hopefully go on to pay for some tickets and go to some sports games nice. um, and enjoy yourself. So I'm optimistic, but a lot has to change. And as humans, we have to be aware that, th that things are radically changing. You just articulated exactly how I feel every day. Like rational <laughs> panic is now becoming like my, I'm, I'm going to like sta staple that to the wall and just be like, oh yeah, rational panic. That's how I feel irrational. today. Right, right. I I'm, I'm somewhat control in control of it, at least a little bit, but I'm still panicking on the inside. It's like, right. that's literally how I feel every day right now. Okay, good. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> great. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say it sort of touches on everything we're dealing with right now and masks and and yeah. going to the grocery store and, and you know, opening of churches and all of these things that we, you know, that I, I think putting it on your wall is a good idea. Because when I look at when I think about it, I think, OK, I, I, I am being rational. Yeah. So I'm allowed to panic a little bit. But I still have my faculties rational, about me, right. but I'm, I'm kind of panicked a little bit. <laughs> right. Oh, it's so true. Joan, I can't thank you enough. The information you've shared with all of us today has been amazing. And I just thank you for coming on again. Like I said, returning champion. Thank you for coming back on. It's always my pleasure. I love your podcast. Thanks for having me.
I can't thank Joan enough. As I stressed during that interview, I was bringing like the anger and fury and she was bringing like the data and knowledge. And I, I think it was just a great balance. And what I need sometimes is to just get into the, the data behind it all. So your, your thoughts have credibility to them. And I love that Joan brings that to the table. I said to her, as, finished, as soon as we finished this interview, I was like, okay, I need you to come back in the spring. And then I need you to do it again in the fall because I think Joan should be a recurring guest on the show every three or four months to give us an update on what she's seeing out there as far as trends and data and analysis as to what's happening in the workforce because she's in that every day and she can help you learn and adjust and see where your approach should take you. So thank you again for listening. Uh, thank you for being a part of this show. Please rate and review and subscribe and all that important stuff for the Work and Sports podcast. Help us support and grow and get more interviews like this pushed out to all of you so we can all have this incredibly functioning, smart, adaptive community. Thanks for listening, everyone.